for that. This is uh, the time for our offering where we um, have the opportunity to give back to God. Now, as the baskets are being passed around, I'll just. Um, I'll just remind you of some of the things that um, the offering that you place in the baskets go towards. One of those things is the church camp that's happening right now um, for the uh, families and for the other um, church members who attended. Um, they're going to be learning about how to set up their tents and, and rough it out. And I'm going after church and frankly, I'm not looking forward to it. But I'm sure once I'm there, I'm going to have a great time. Um, I really like buildings and toilets and things like that. But anyways, um, I'm, I'm sure the children will have a wonderful time. But yes, um, the, the offering goes towards um, the, the ministries of our church. We also have other ministries such as the homeless outreach that we do at the Queen Victoria Markets on the fourth Friday of each month. Um, and we also uh, are planning on uh, continuing our outreach ministries here in the city so other people can to know about Jesus as well. And as you know, we just finished our six-week series, um, Seeing with New Eyes, and we had a lot of people uh, make decisions for Bible studies. Um, in fact, we had 25 people make decisions for baptisms, uh, sorry, for Bible studies, and three people make decisions for baptism. So we're really, really thankful to God um, and thankful to all of you for all, all your support throughout the six weeks. Um, and yes, for all that you do, um, day in and day out and week in and week out for that so thank you let me just pop this on so i can get to my slides there's a famous line in the american declaration of independence that i'm sure you've all heard that says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed with their by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and say it with me, the pursuit of happiness. Oh, come on, guys. Nobody? <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, in 1776, happiness probably meant a roof over your head and food on the table. But in 2018, what is happiness? Is it getting into the housing market here in Melbourne? getting married, a long weekend like this weekend, kind of, getting Monday off? Is that happiness? Or according to the popular song by Lia Salonga, is happiness two scoops of ice cream? For me, it often is. What is it that we are pursuing day in and day out? And in the words of my five-year-old, are we there yet? How do we know when we have obtained it? Many people believe that success, whether financial success or professional success, that that equals happiness. But sadly, we've seen, especially recently, that that's not true. That highly successful people like designer Kate Spade and chef Anthony Bourdain have, committed, um, have, have ended their own lives because despite all their professional success and financial success, they did not find purpose for their lives. Many of us enjoy what, um, there's a whole Time magazine um, on the pursuit of happiness and, and looking at what that has done to um, the American community as well as kind of what it does to people in general. But the writer coined this term, consumptive happiness, which they de defined as the happiness that comes not from sowing, but from reaping. Not from building the house, but from watching TV in your new living room. 
That may be the goal of the work, but it's a goal that once achieved can leave us feeling bored. In other words, there are lots of things like ice cream that brings us happiness, but it doesn't last. And at the end of it all, we are still not happy. So what brings lasting happiness? This has been a topic that has become an industry. There is the happiness industry that generates billions of dollars per year because multiple research teams from various fields collaborate to study happiness. There are over 200 books on Goodreads on happiness. There are annual world summits on happiness. There's university courses on happiness. Um, you know, me medications, food, motivational talks, Genera uh, it generates billions of dollars per year because people want to know, how can I be happy? And what is all the research discovered? Let me give you a few summarized <laughs> versions of some of the research. This is from the University of California, Berkeley, that kind of was were one of the key leaders in studying happiness. Dr. Uh, Simon Thomas writes, researchers think of happiness as having satisfaction and meaning in your life. It's the propensity to feel positive emotions, the capacity to recover from negative emotions quickly, and holding a sense of purpose. Happiness is not having a lot of privilege or money. It's not constant pleasure. It's broader thing. Our ability to connect with others, to have meaningful relationships, to have a community. Time and again, across decades of research and across all studies, People who say they're happy have strong connections with community and with other people. That's sort of the recipe for happiness. And if you look at what they're saying, essentially, the research, a lot of the research shows that the happiest people in the world are usually religious because of the very fact that community is such a key part of having uh, that sense of satisfaction in life. Also, people who are uh, involved in religions have a sense of purpose, and they also often help others. And all these factors, as well as cultivating mindfulness, gratitude, forgiveness, and kindness, have all been proven scientifically to increase your happiness. And if you would like more information on kind of the practical and the scientific ways to increase your happiness, this is one of the books that... Um, I'll just share this slide as well. This is one of the books that we have offered. For those of you who attended eight out of the 12 sessions, um, you can take a free copy of either this or this, and I'll talk more about this later. But the Live More Happy book um, is by Darren Morton, Dr. Darren Morton, and it's called Significant Proven Ways to Lift Your Mood in Your Life. And I'm actually going through a course, a 10-week course um, online on this, and it's been very, it's been good um, practicing the, the daily kind of homework and and getting the information on how to increase your mood. But there is the practical element of how to become happy. But there's something more that the research has uncovered. Yes, there are ways that you can make yourself happy. But what the research ultimately showed is that when you are pursuing happiness for happiness sake, ironically, you become unhappy. So let me say that again. When your focus is to become happy, sadly, it makes you unhappy. That pursuit of happiness spirals you down into unhappiness. What do I mean by that? Here's a, what a few more researchers have said. You don't become happy by pursuing happiness. It is always a byproduct, never a goal. Happiness is a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it flies away from you and hides. 
but stop chasing it, put away your net, and busy yourself with other more productive things than the pursuit of happiness, and it will sneak up on you from behind and perch on your shoulder. There is something about the pursuit of happiness that is very self-centered, right? It's about my needs and my wants and fulfilling that. And there's something about that self-centeredness that actually makes us very unhappy. Here's another researcher on, on, on the pursuit of happiness. The more that genuine contentment eludes us, the more we seek to fill the gap with manufactured highs. But as we try to, to anesthetize feelings of sadness, failure, and disappointment, our rates of depression and anxiety continue to climb. So many people now think, if I'm not happy, there's something wrong with me. We seem to have forgotten that feelings are like the weather, changing all the time. It's as normal to feel unhappy as it is to have rainy days. Painful emotions are increasingly seen as unnatural and abnormal and refuse to re accept that we can't always get what we want. You see, what's happening is that in our pursuit of happiness, when we don't feel happy, we think we, we try to fill that void or we try to anesthetize whatever feeling we're actually feeling with these manufactured highs. So whether it's, you know, temporary pleasure by, you know, binging on Netflix or whether it's, you know, going out and having that ice cream or whether it's, um, you know, good things. And these are not necessarily bad things, but unfortunately we feel it, feel it, feel it. We don't get to actually accept that our, our emotions the whole gamut of emotions are actually quite healthy and we don't actually deal with the most important pursuit of all. In fact, I want to present to you today that all these scientific findings, all this research is actually telling us principles that have been in the word of God for generations, that for thousands of years, the Bible has, has been giving us all these principles of gratitude and forgiveness and kindness and service and um, everything else that actually leads and points towards long-lasting happiness. And ultimately, the pursuit that changes us and makes us truly happy is not the pursuit of happiness, but it's the pursuit of a genuine relationship with God. And what does that look like? One of the most well-known passages in the Bible is a time when Jesus preached a sermon. And very, very rarely do we have Jesus preaching a sermon. Usually he told stories and he healed people and he, you know, told uh, parables. And But there is a recorded sermon. And if you look in your white World Changer Bibles, and I'll tell you the page number, and go to page 774. And I'll have it online for our online viewers as well. Page 774, which is Matthew chapter 5. And I, we don't have time to read the entire sermon, but I do want to challenge you this afternoon and this week. Have a read through Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, which is Jesus' sermon. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he goes up onto the mountain and he starts to preach. He starts to share and teach. But the beginning of his sermon starts with this passage on happiness. So we're going to pick up in verse 3, and the translation will be slightly different um, from the one that I'm going to be reading from. Jesus says, Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. 
Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they're righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. Now, your Bible translation might say blessed instead of happy, but the original Greek word can be translated as either happy or blessed. But what does Jesus mean? How can someone who is hopeless or someone who is poor, how can they be happy? How can someone who is being persecuted or harassed be blessed? When we look at the literary structure, we can find the answer. You see, a lot of times the Bible um, is written in a particular literary format that helps us to understand what, what the meaning of the passage is. There's a literary uh, format in the Hebrew Bible um, in that time, in that literature, called the chiastic structure. In other words, chiasm, which is really just the, um, the Greek word for X, it shows, let me see if I can put my laser on, it shows that um, there is a parallel between the first line and the last line. So you see how I've highlighted in blue, you've got this phrase, there is the kingdom of heaven, repeated. And then you've got this second part, blessed are those who mourn, they should be comforted. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, they should be called sons of God. Blessed are the meek, they should inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then you've got this middle part. And in the classic structure, the middle is the climax. Okay, It's the middle that is the climax. So the climax of this whole passage on happiness or blessedness is this part. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, being merciful, we can understand what that means, right? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? There's a lot of words there that are kind of very religious vocabulary. What is righteousness? And what does it mean to hunger and thirst after it? Well, Jesus clarifies, thankfully for us, as he goes on in his sermon. And let me highlight the passages that are relevant for us today. Like I said, there's more as you keep reading. But here's chapter 6. So very next chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Here's what Jesus says. And notice that Jesus' audience is mostly farmers, fishermen, tradespeople, people who really struggled to keep food on the table, people who really had to work all day long in order to have something at the end of the day to feed their children, right? And even though we might not be in the same boat, we still are preoccupied today with making sure that we're financially secure, right? We, we still spend most of our days and hours working or studying, or that takes the majority of our time. So his message to, to, the, to them and to us um, is still the same. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them and where thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And then he goes on to say, Therefore, don't worry and say, What are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus says, Hunger and thirst for God and his kingdom, God and his righteousness. Okay? When you pursue that and that is the priority of your life, everything else will follow. The things that you need, right? the things that um, make you happy, all those things will follow if you seek first the kingdom of God. As you pursue God in a relationship with him, you will become happy. Because all those principles that we just talked about fall into line as you develop a relationship with a God who is actually all that our heart was built for. You see, I believe that the reason why people can have everything they want, you know, the best house possible, the fastest car, um, the celebrity status. There are people who can have everything that you, you, you kind of dream about. Man, if I had that, I'd be so happy, right? Billions of dollars. There's a reason why people who have everything are still unhappy. There, there's a reason why they turn to drugs and they turn to anything that can fill that still hole in their heart that, that, that cannot be filled no matter how much they consume and no matter how much how many vacations they take, no matter all the things that are available to them, there's a reason why they're still not happy. And I believe that's because humanity has been created to have community with God and community with each other. We have this heart that has a hole that only God can fill. So no matter what else we try to fill it with, there is still that emptiness at the end of the day. And the thing is, we don't often feel that emptiness because we are so busy and distracted. I don't know about you, but I can't believe it's almost Christmas. I can't believe that 2018 is almost over. I'm not used to still writing 2018. Sometimes I still put 2014. I'm like, what am I doing? Right? The years just fly by. We are so busy and we're so distracted and, you know, it's not a bad thing to be busy. It's good. The things that we do, they're good things. But the problem is we don't often stop and pause and reflect so that we can feel that there's something more still lacking. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Pursue God and you will feel whole. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. I love that analogy because I love food. And I, I'm, I'm uh, for me, I don't have a whole lot of hobbies. One of my hobbies is eating. Um, I love eating good food. I love going to new restaurants. I like trying different flavors. And, and so that is one of my pleasures in life. And the problem with food though is that you eat it, you enjoy it, but guess what? A few hours later, you're hungry again, right? And the other problem now that I'm in my mid-30s is that 
my metabolism has slowed down, and so I can enjoy these things. But there are consequences, all right, to to those things. And so, you know, the things that we we find happiness in, they're great for a little bit, maybe for a few hours, maybe for a few days, months, years. But eventually, that runs out, and you got to fill it again. And so, I love how God uses this imagery. Of hungering and thirsting, because he knows that the people he's talking to are always hungry and thirsty, right? And that's something that is that they're preoccupied with, always finding that next food and next drink. And so God uses that analogy and says, "Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they're full." You see, the people that Jesus was talking to had never really been full. He was talking to the people in those days who ate just enough to get by. They had never really been full, and so when Jesus comes to them and says, "Hey, you're going to be full," and God also uses phrases in in the Bible, such as you remember in Psalm 23, He says, "Your your um, goodness and mercy." Talk about He talks about my cup runs over. In other words, God's goodness and mercy are so much that you're full and overflowing. So God uses that imagery throughout the Bible, and so for for the listeners, they're like, "What would that be like to be full?" Physically, they can't imagine it, but God is saying, "Look, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. You will be full. You will have an abundant life." So, for us today, we don't have that problem of being hungry. Right? We usually probably eat too much. I do. I eat until I'm full and then extra, right? But. Spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, I know what it feels like to be hungry for more, and that's usually often why I eat physically. Right? I, I am one of those people who eat when I eat my feelings, and so if I'm unhappy about my day because there is that lack, that I'm hungry and thirsting for something more, then I try to fill it with the food, but it doesn't work. <laughs> Let me tell you. And so there is this soul hunger and thirst that we feel today. In 2018, and that's the reason why people all over the world are looking so much for community. That's the reason why they are not happy, even though they've got everything. And God says to us, "Hey, I can make you full. I can satisfy you. Come pursue me, and you will find contentment." You will find peace. You will find happiness. You see, all the research what it has shown us is that we are hardwired to love and to be loved. It has shown that we need community. We need that unconditional love. We need people to support us. And the sad part is that even though we may have people around us who love us, people are inherently selfish. And so, people can only support you to a point. So even though you might have friends and family who love you, that's still not going to be enough, because a human heart was created to experience unconditional love, unconditional love. And there's only one person who can give you that, and that's God, because God is love, and He loves you no matter what you do. He loves you no matter. What you've been through, and He's going to love you no matter what. And because God is love, 
only a relationship with that unconditional loving God can fill that hole in your heart and can make us experience that peace and joy that is long-lasting and not temporary. Happiness in God is not going to look like this most of the time. But it is this, resurrection, eternal life, community, security in God's love, peace that endures, and a life with purpose. I don't have Google pictures for this because this looks different for everyone. Resurrection, I'm not talking just about the physical resurrection that will happen one day, but I'm talking about that feeling that you're alive. I don't know about you, but I've been in that state of zombiness where I'm just going through the motions of my day and I'm like, what am I doing? And you just feel like, ugh, don't want to wake up tomorrow and do this again, right? And what you, happens when you experience the love of God, when, what happens when you realize that God loves you just as you are, is that you then have a new life. The Bible says that God and the Holy Spirit breathes in you, gives you a new heart and a new spirit. And there's this wonderful story in the book of Ezekiel that talks about a valley of dry bones, literally dry bones, dead bones. And God comes and he breathes on these dry bones and the dry bones coming together, sinew by sinew, flesh by flesh, and the people get recreated are these dry bones. And God says, let the dry bones now live. And that's the experience that happens to us when we go to God. We go from being dry bones of living these you know, mundane lives that just are drudgery and after drudgery sometimes, right? To a life that is filled with purpose and meaning and, and gives us a new resurrected life here and now. That eternal life starts now. And it gives us community. You see, the beauty of being a Christian is that you are now connected to every other person in the body of Christ. And you have community. It takes a bit of effort to, you know, get to know people. But, but that's what church is for. To give you that community. To give you people who are learning to love you as you learn to love them. There's also security in God's love. You know, I don't know about you, but I... This is, this is one that I'm always having to recalibrate myself for because I care so much what people think of me, right? Not, 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 not that I want people to think, I don't have to be loved by everybody, but if someone dislikes me, oh, that bothers me so much, right? So you don't have to love me, but if you don't like me, then that really, I, I really struggle with, okay, how do I, I offended them, how do I make it right, right? And I get really anxious about that. But when we are securing God's love, when we realize that God loves us as we are, right? Then our focus is not on, uh-oh, what does that person think of me? But on how can I minister to that person? If, if that person is upset with me, how can I make sure to uh, help that person feel better? And it, the focus is not on, on yourself, but it's on the other person. Does that make sense? The focus shifts. And the focus becomes, what does God think of me rather than, if I do this, what will other people think of me, right? There is a change in perception because there is security in God's love and our identity as God's child. It's a peace that endures. And you know that peace, it doesn't, it's, it's not like you're lying on the beach in Hawaii. It's not that kind of peace. It could be. But it's more peace of Paul and Silas who were 
early Christian missionaries who are locked and imprisoned in jail, but who are able to sing praises. It's a piece that, despite circumstances, can say, this stinks, but I know God has a plan for me. And so I can go through this because God is with me. It's a life with purpose. It's a life with purpose. It's a life that knows why we do what we do every day. That we're not at our job just to get the paycheck, but that we're at our job or in our classroom to show God's love to someone. That we may be the one person that somebody might turn to one day and say, hey, tell me about God. I know you're a Christian. That we may be that one person who can be a kind voice on the other side of the telephone that day. Or we might be that one person to someone who is going through a horrible day and just needs a smile. That how we go about our day makes a difference to the world around us because we belong to God's kingdom and therefore our purpose on life is to do God's will, to show God's love to all those around us. The happiness in God looks different for everyone and it's a happiness that despite circumstances can give us um, a completely different perspective. I've shared about Nick before, but I just come back to him because he's just, a, for me, such an inspiring example of someone who has joy in God. Nick was born in Melbourne without limbs, a very rare condition. Only seven people in the world who have this condition who are still alive. But as you can imagine, a very difficult childhood. And at the age of 10, he tried to um, end his life. Um, but didn't succeed. And he was only 10 years old, so you can imagine how, how, how horrible he had been feeling about himself and his purpose in life. A few years later, when he was about 14, he, um, he read about someone with a disability who you know, shared about his, his life. And he read this and he realized, and he was reading John chapter 9 about Jesus healing a blind man. And Nick realized for the first time in his life, Maybe God has a purpose for my life. Maybe I can, I can share about God with people. And maybe people will listen to me because I am different. And you know what? He was right. People listened to him. In fact, Nick travels around the world speaking to thousands of people about how much love and joy he has found in Jesus. And people listen to him because if you can be happy without having limbs and having the challenges that he has to go through, they think, well, there must be something to this. And he's got such an exuberant joy about him. They know it's not fake, right? They know that he really, it has impacted his life in such a significant way. And they see him living it out. And so he goes around speaking to young, young people and everyone, telling them, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for everyone. And so even though happiness in God may not look like this, right? oftentimes it might look like this. It's a picture taken from after attacks. We hear about horrible things happening around the world all the time, every week in the news. And in those moments, can we provide comfort to others in their pain? 
I think that happiness in God is not about always being happy, but it's about being able to be a blessing to others. It's about being able to be agents of change, of being empathetic listeners in a world that is broken. I want Micah and Joshua to be happy. But in order for them to become happy long-term, I know that they have to be unhappy now. Let me explain. So Micah loves watching this show called Dino Trucks. And um, if, if it were left up to him, he would watch it all day. But I have to limit his screen time because I know that screen time is not good for his brain development, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I limit him to maybe one maximum two episodes. And when I tell him this last one, and he'll be like, okay. And then when the t- in episode stops, he's like, can I have another one? And I say, no. And he's like, oh, it's not fair. And he gets upset. But if I give in in order to make him happy and say, all right, I'll let you watch another one, he'll be thrilled. And, and in fact, it's happened a few times. Where he's like, yay. And he watches another one. But you know what happens after that one ends? He wants to watch another one. No, oh, it's not fair, right? And so I have, to, I have to have him go through unhappiness. I have to say no. I have to limit him on what he wants because I want him long-term to not be addicted and I want him long-term to become someone who um, is able to have a balanced life. Same thing with Joshua. Micah and Joshua are playing over toys and you know Joshua wants what Micah has and, I ha- and then he tries to take it and I have to tell him, no, you can't do that. So then Joshua's sad, right? Do I want my child to be sad? No, but I want my child to learn to have boundaries, to share, to um, become a kind and caring person. You see, in order for my children to be happy long-term, I have to let them experience disappointment and sadness and even rejection. The other day, Micah was trying to play with some older boys and, you know, they didn't really want to play with him. And Micah came over and said, they don't want to, they're not letting you play with them. And I said, yes, that's right. Because they don't want to play with you. And, and I know when I was telling a friend of mine, they're like, oh, it's so harsh. And I was like, but he needs to realize he can't, I'm not going to make the older ones play with him because in life, that's just not how it's going to work. He's going to have to learn that sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes he can't get what he wants and he, he needs to learn that. And I, and I, you know, I was nice to him. I explained to him, you know, Hey, sometimes you don't want to play with Joshua. Right. And it's the same thing. Sometimes all the older boys don't want to play with you. And that's something that you're going to have to navigate. And so it's, it's important for us to realize that, God wants us to be happy, but he wants us to be happy long-term. So sometimes God says no. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we want. Sometimes he lets us experience disappointment and failure and rejection and pain. But he says, while you're experiencing all those things, I'm right here with you. I'm going to talk you through it. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be a shoulder for you to cry on. And I'm going to make sure that you learn resilience. I'm going to make sure that you build character. I'm going to make sure that you learn what it means to pursue God and his kingdom first. Paul and silence, even in prison, were able to have a kind of resilience. They were able to have the kind of character that could have joy no matter what their circumstances. And I love Philippians, it's one of my favorite books, and it's often called the book of joy. 
And Paul wrote this book of joy from prison. And he says, always be glad because of the Lord. I will say it again, be glad. Always be gentle with others. The Lord will soon be here. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thankful hearts. Offer up your prayers and requests to God. Then, because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. And one more, he says, I am not complaining about having too little because, you know, his conditions in prison are not great. He says, I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. I know what it is to be poor or to have plenty, and I've lived under all kinds of conditions. I know what it means to be full or to be hungry, to have too much or too little. Christ gives me the strength to face anything. And you see, that's the key. That's the, that's the secret to happiness, is that in our relationship with God, he gives us strength to go through anything and to have that peace that endures and that joy that can come from knowing that we are in good hands. And I want to invite you into that kind of, I want to invite, I want all of us to experience that kind of joy. I want all of us to experience that fullness that comes from hungering after him. So like I said, that's um, one of the book options, but the other one is science to life. And if you are wondering, okay, I do want to pursue a relationship with God. I do want to know um, how to develop that further. This is a great book. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called Science to Life, and it goes over the um, book of John. It highlights the book of John, um, which is a book about Jesus. And um, so, again, if you attended it out of 12, um, you get one of these for free. If you didn't, that's all right. We have two copies of each book in the church library. And so you can just borrow one. Um, you can also um, download. Uh, both of them are on Kindle as well. So you can. that's always an option as well. Also in December, when I come back from the U.S., um, there is going to be two Bible study workshops we're doing in December to help you further that relationship with God. But you don't have to wait until then, and you don't have to necessarily have one of these books. Ultimately, Jesus is just waiting for you to say, yes, I want to hunger and thirst after you. I want to develop this relationship with you. And, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful passage at the end of the Bible that says where Jesus has, gives us this imagery. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It's as simple as that. He's there waiting. He's not far. He's not hidden. He's saying, come. I just want you to let me in. Let me have this relationship with you. And he says, I promise it will be satisfying. You will be full. The dining experience with Jesus is never half done, right? It's going to be a complete course where he's going to satisfy the heart hunger for that community and love that we all want. And so as we listen to our song of reflection, I pray that we can make that prayer and make that decision today to make God the greatest pursuit of our lives.